The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. good friends happy new year well here we are friday january 5 welcome back to the bill press pod and our first reporters roundtable of 2024 with congress and president biden still out of town for the holidays most action this week was on the political front the iowa caucuses are now only 10 days away it looks like donald trump has a commanding lead but what do the caucuses really mean anyway then it's on to New Hampshire, where Nikki Haley, who's still trying to figure out what the Civil War was all about, says she's going to knock Donald Trump out of the box. And what about Ron DeSantis? <laughs> yeah, good question. What about Ron DeSantis? <laughs> Meanwhile, on the Democratic side, Joe Biden did not decide over the holidays not to run again, as many Democrats were hoping. Today, in fact... He is going to kick off his campaign at Valley Forge one day before the third anniversary of January 6th, branding Donald Trump as a dangerous threat to our democracy. Is that a winning message? And the Supreme Court's gearing up to decide whether Trump should even appear on the ballot at all. (laughs) Not such a slow week after all, in fact. So here to make some sense of it all for us today, Brian Boitler, author of the Off Message Newsletter. Hello, Brian. Welcome back. Hey, Bill. Thanks to be. Thanks for having me. And John Bennett, editor-at-large of CQ Roll Call and writer of the Afternoon Briefing. Hello, John. Happy New Year, Bill. Thanks for having me. Well, let's start out with uh, Iowa. You know, um, before we get into who's going to win, who's going to lose, Brian, I got to ask you, look, I've been out to Iowa several times for these caucuses, right? And I distinctly remember President Rick Santorum, President Mike Huckabee, (laughs) President Mm. Ted Cruz, President Mm. Howard Dean. (laughs) They all won the Iowa caucuses. So why do we why do we make so much of these Iowa caucuses when the the winner doesn't necessarily go all the way? Um, I don't know. It's a good question. It's uh, it's it's chum for us reporter types. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, the 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 counterexample that I think um, uh, people would point to for the last decade and a half or so is Barack Obama, who right. kind of staked everything on winning Iowa. And it was with probably the but for reason that he became president was that he won Iowa. Um, in this race, I think it's just a little bit weird to look at Iowa at, at all, because I mean, I think the, the, it seems like uh, we're looking at who does best at, at coming within you know 20 or 30 points of Donald Trump in second place. Um, and so, right. and so it, it, it's particularly useless this year, but, um, but in theory, it can help, uh, when you have a, a competitive field, draw one of the two or three most competitive candidates out and, and give them a head of steam rolling into the subsequent primaries and caucuses. Right. So, uh, John, Donald Trump is bragging about the fact that he's got it not only locked up, but it's going to be a rump for him. Uh, in Iowa, 
he got the help, John, of uh, your territory covering House leadership, right, this week. Tom Emmer coming out for him, Steve Scalise coming out for him. Uh, do you think Trump's going to romp in Iowa? What's that look like? Yeah, I do think this will be a runaway uh, for the former president. But first, uh, thanks, uh, Bill, for reminding me of the Dean scream. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> former uh, Governor Howard Dean on January 19th, 2004 in West Des Moines, Iowa, of course, People say that was the beginning of the end and then the end of his presidential run with that famous on-camera scream. He was very happy, but uh, not for long. So, yeah, I think Trump's got this locked up in Iowa. Um, You know, you say water the caucuses. I think Brian's right. It is chum for us, and and we need chum, and we love it. And um, we eat it like junk food. But at the same time, it's the first, you know, it's the first primary contest, the first nominating contest. So it's going to get a lot of coverage, and no matter the format uh, of, of how voters cast their votes, move around the room, change their votes. Um, and it, it will be an early test. You know, I always view Iowa kind of like a NASCAR race. I'll go to sports early here, Bill. <laughs> and, you know, you kind of view Iowa like Daytona or Talladega. And, and you know who's up front. It's kind of hard to pass. But you're looking for that car that's positioned to possibly make a run with four or five laps to go, get in the draft and maybe get pushed to the win. And right now, the car that we're looking at, of course, is Nikki Haley. Yeah. And, you know, can she can she greatly exceed expectations in Iowa and then go on to New Hampshire? Um, maybe, you know, there was a poll yesterday that had her within four points, uh, presented points in, in New Hampshire of Donald Trump. Not sure about that poll. We'll see when others come out as we get closer uh, to that nominating contest, but that's what you're looking for. Can 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 Haley maybe finish uh, second in Iowa, um, close to Trump in New Hampshire, and then of course her home state of South Carolina would be next. And you know if she can exceed expectations there right now, again in this NASCAR analogy, what she's trying to do is is inject some doubt about Trump long term. So you know you know if she finishes a very or a relatively close second in in South Carolina, if she exceeds uh, the latest polling, then maybe there's enough doubt going into Super Tuesday. She pulls a few upsets, and we've got a real primary uh, going into March. Now, there's a lot of ifs there. A lot of things have to happen just right for Haley. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't really see it, but that's what her camp is is banking on right now, that she can, like uh, back to the NASCAR analogy, she can slingshot her way um, at least even with the leader going into Super Tuesday. Right. So, by the way, I just want to point out, you did mention the, uh, the one poll yesterday showing her within four points of Trump, the margin of error, of St. Anselm, which is generally the most respected poll, still shows her 14 points behind Trump, 44 to 30. So we'll see how that plays out. But you mentioned that she is um, trying to sow some doubts about Donald Trump. Um Brian, she also sowed some doubts about herself this week, famously when she was asked what the Civil War was all about. Here she is. Yeah, I mean, I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run, the freedoms and what people could and couldn't do. Yeah, she's still trying to explain that answer, Brian. Uh, It's had quite an impact on her campaign, hasn't it? Seems like it. I mean, at least insofar as it had to revisit it so many times and, and try to find an answer that will satisfy people instead of just saying I screwed up. It was like, it's very strange because we don't think of Nikki Haley as being like Sarah Palin, but it was a very Palin-esque answer in some ways. 
where Palin Good. wouldn't know what she was talking about. But Nikki Haley clearly does. She's just scared to say the truth because I think she thinks that um, a lot of Republican voters, particularly in her home state of South Carolina, will feel condemned by the idea, the true idea that the the root cause of the Civil War was slavery. Um, and it's also just kind of funny because I think that the I mean, it's not funny, but it's it's ironic because the people who want Nikki Haley to beat Donald Trump in the Republican primary, the anti-Trump Republicans or the Republicans who just worry that he's not electable. One of the things that uh, makes them feel that way is that when he gets up to give a speech or answer questions or whatever it is, they are anticipating, you know, uh, controversy, embarrassment of some kind. He's going to say something outrageous or offensive or, or nonsensical. Uh, and that Nikki Haley is supposed to be the antithesis of that. She's supposed to be the dependable one who doesn't get Republicans into trouble. But meanwhile, like Trump does his own thing every time he gives a speech and people seem to not notice anymore when he says outrageous things. And Nikki Haley was the one who stepped in it and got all the attention for it. Yeah. Uh, well, that certainly that has certainly changed, John. I want to come back to what you're 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 right. After New Hampshire, we swing into South Carolina, where one would think that would be Nikki Haley's time to really shine. But the latest poll I saw yesterday, looking uh, getting ready for today's podcast, is that in her home state of South Carolina, at this point, Donald Trump is leading Nikki Haley fifty-one to twenty-two. That's right. Uh, it's not close right now, according <laughs> to the polls, by any means in the Palmetto State. Um, you know, if uh, part of the, the Haley camps calculation here is that Ron DeSantis uh, would drop out before South Carolina, maybe after Iowa. He's basically moved to Iowa. He basically lives there now, as a lot of candidates do at this point. Um, and, and that some of his or most of his support uh, would not go to the former president, that it would go to uh, former Governor Haley. Uh, maybe uh, Chris Christie, who I mean, he's not polling in the double digits or even close, but still, you know, every every percentage point matters. And, you know, maybe you could get, you know, 15 percent from from those two gentlemen if they drop out. And again, maybe it, I don't think the game here is winning South Carolina. I think it's trying to exceed expectations. And that's really what she's trying to do. Now, that flub with the Civil War. um, you know, she she can't she can't eventually defeat Trump without peeling some of his support away and into her column. And we know um, there is a big a, a big subsection of Trump's base that and I grew up in the South. I grew up in North Carolina. And I can tell you, I wish I had a dollar for every time someone referred to the war of northern aggression. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a big there's a big part of that Trump base that she would need to eventually defeat him um, that that don't believe it was about slavery, that they agree with her leaving that out of her initial comment. She cleaned it up the next day, but it took a whole, it took a whole day, a whole business day yeah. for me to clean it up. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, she's she's a very intelligent person. She's a very smart politician. And I think she was thinking about that Trump base. And what if we get into Super Tuesday and this is a lot closer than it is right now? I don't want to alienate some of those people that might cross over into my camp. Uh, uh, so, uh, Brian, I want to ask the question that's maybe impolitic or not politically correct, but off message. I'll, I'll do it anyway. Um, do we really think that the MAGA Republican Party would ever nominate 
a woman, a person of color, as their nominee for president of the United States? I mean, clearly not as the first choice, right? Because by definition, if they're a moderate Republican, they want Donald Trump to be the nominee. Um, I do think that at the end of the day, if for whatever reason Donald Trump wasn't able to win this primary, unless he decided to go to war with the Republican Party and the nominee for not for denying him the nomination, most of his supporters would revert to whoever won the nomination, right? Like at the end of the day, they're they're right-wing American voters and they would rather a Republican than a Democrat become president. And that's part of the reason why, but, you but know, that, as, as much- Yeah, that doesn't answer my question. Do you think that nominee could, would ever, with this Republican party, be a woman and be a person of color? Um, just as a mathematical thing, are there are there too many MAGA voters in the Republican primary? There are too many white. Nikki- I'll say there are too many white racists in the MAGA yeah. party who would ever do that. That seems um, to me. I think I don't know. It's it's it would be it's a close run question. Um, I think that the Trump clearly has the support of about half or more than half the party as as a first choice um, to be the nominee. But how many of those are? MAGA devotees and how many of them are um, sort of like less engaged Republican voters who liked him when he was president or preferred him to Democrats. They they kind of think of him as a familiar known quantity. They know he won the 2016 election. But if he didn't um, if he didn't win the nomination, they wouldn't be crestfallen. That's the subsegment of, of his supporters that I think Nikki Haley has uh, a chance of of right. slowly drawing into her camp if she starts doing better than we all kind of expect. Um, and, and, and that's sort of why, you know, I, um, I agree with everything John said, but it is true that primary elections are much more volatile and swingy than general elections. And so that's why somebody like Joe Biden could lose Iowa, lose New Hampshire, look like he was flaming out and then ricochet back and win the nomination. Um, so if, if things go weird in Iowa or New Hampshire, um, I, I, I think we might be following the primary uh, for several more weeks, at least, before we know who's going to win. Uh, all right. Speaking of Joe Biden, he is still running, as I said. Today, uh, he is, in effect, kicking off his campaign. If Valley Forge, identifying with George Washington, uh, I guess, John Bennett, uh, and his message, we're told ahead of time, after meeting with a group of historians at the White House this week, is that Donald Trump is an outright threat to democracy, he will say, on the eve of January 6th. He forecasted a little bit of what he's going to say, John, in this ad, which was released yesterday by the Biden campaign. I've made the preservation of American democracy the central issue of my presidency. I believe in free and fair elections and the right to vote fairly and have your vote counted. Now, something dangerous happened in America. There's an extremist movement who does not share the basic beliefs in our democracy. All of us are being asked right now, what will we do to maintain our democracy? History's watching. Most important, our children and grandchildren will hold us responsible. Uh, and there were photos of January 6th and the uh, Charlottesville protest uh, as part of that ad, John. Uh, effective message for Biden? What do you think? Yeah, I, I've always said uh, that this is one of his best messages um, when he gets on it. That is, you know, they've tried really hard to beat the uh, the Bidenomics drum. 
They went away from that term for a little while. They're back on it. Um, the economy, the uh, infrastructure uh, law, um, and, and those kinds of issues, you, you know, the economy, I was just looking at my phone, we just got an alert about another um, pretty solid jobs report, but that's not the perception of folks. You know, even though folks say their personal finances, they feel pretty good about, there's a perception that the broader economy is, is, is very unhealthy. Um, I mean, I've traveled recently a couple times for the holidays and airports are packed, restaurants are packed, malls were packed that I was in, uh, but people just don't feel good about the economy. So I think this pivoting to more often this democracy message and, and warning about President Trump and January 6th, uh, his former president's attempts to overturn the 2020 election. Uh, Biden is really strong on this. You get that old Scranton Joe feel. Uh, and I think we'll hear that today in Valley Forge, um, you know, that that tougher Joe Biden than the economy speech is a canned speech. It's, you know, they change part of it if he's in Wisconsin or Pennsylvania or or North Carolina, wherever he's giving the speech. They, they tailor it a little bit, but he just kind of reads it. It doesn't resonate, doesn't get much coverage anymore. Uh, so I think this is a good message for Joe Biden. And, you know, I think the warning is valid. Um, you know, we, we all saw what happened on January 6th. We've heard what former President Trump has said recently about, you know, being a dictator on day one. He, he was just joking, his team said, but was he? So, uh, Brian, the counter message from Republicans is that um, this isn't what the, uh, Americans are talking about. They're not talking about January 6th. They're talking about the Biden crime family. Here's James... <laughs> So here's James Comer um, on uh, Newsmax, uh, where he uh, says, this is what Americans, this is what everybody was talking about during the holidays. Uh, of course, he's chair of the House Oversight Committee. Here he is. That's a basic question every American family asked around the dinner table, both uh, during Thanksgiving and Christmas break. What exactly did the Bidens do to receive this money? And why won't Joe Biden be honest about his involvement and knowledge in his family's shady business schemes? Now, I don't know about you, um, but I didn't hear any discussion of that around uh, my family's Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, Brian, is this what Americans are really talking about? Um, you know, I think that Republicans have um, internalized over the last, let's say, 30 years or so that one way to win elections is is to um is to sow these kind of seamy doubts about their opponents bring their approval ratings or popularity down maybe through this constant kind of um like allegation of wrongdoing uh you you, you find something that you can um turn against your opponent that is incriminating or that you can in a way that makes it seem incriminating and that these kinds of um, scandals they're 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 lurid and they're emotionally resonant right they're not they're not dry um, the way a lot of sort of kitchen table campaigning can be right like if after September 11th George W Bush had gone out and campaigned on on, on fuel mileage or something like that everyone would have thought like you're you're missing the most important story in the country and the most important thing that's happening right now that, that should be the focal point of politics. And I think that, 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 you know, even if Republicans 
aren't getting people to talk about their investigations at the Thanksgiving dinner table. They believe that the the their best approach to winning such a like narrowly run election because our elections now are typically 50, 48 and, and uh, thin, thin margins in the electoral college um, that, that at that point, if you can just shave two, three percentage points off of Joe Biden's popularity by making people think that he's dirty, um, that that um, could make the difference between winning and losing. Um, it, yeah. it happens in this case, not to be true. And as, as uh, we might uh, get to a little bit later, um, it's, there's two parties Republicans have been trying to find proof that Joe Biden is on the take from foreign governments. Um, but it's the other party, the Democrats, that have found the proof that the Republican nominee in waiting has been taking money from foreign governments. Uh, well, you're right. We will get to that a little bit later. <laughs> uh, but first, I want to take a break here uh, with today's on today's roundtable and then pick up the rest of the week's news, uh, talking with uh, Brian Beutler from his new newsletter, Off Message Newsletter. I've subscribed to it and encourage you to do so as well. Your daily political feed, keep us political junkies going. Uh, and with John Bennett, editor-at-large at CQ Roll Call. Quick break and then we'll be right back. Today's Reporters Roundtable on the Bill Press Pod brought to you by the Laborers International Union of North America, our good friends at LIUNA, as they call themselves. Their motto is, feel the power. And indeed, it is a very powerful uh, union, one of our biggest labor unions, led by new president Brent Booker. Uh, the members of LIUNA are very active in the construction field, taking advantage, full advantage, with millions of new jobs uh, built, rebuilding America's infrastructure, also active in the energy area and the healthcare area. We salute the members of the Laborers Union, thank them for their great work building America, and thank them for their longtime support of the Bill Press Pod. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana. 
where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. We're back with today's roundtable, today's reporter's roundtable on the Bill Press Pod. Our guest, John Bennett, editor-in-large of CQ Roll Call and writer of the Afternoon Briefing at CQ Roll Call, Brian Boitler, uh, author of the Off-Message Newsletter. Uh, Brian, quick plug, how can people sign up for the newsletter? Uh, just go to offmessage.net and all um, subscription off- uh, um, options from free to monthly paid to annual are right there and, and easy to access. Okay, here we go. So, uh, John, I, I, I got to pick up uh, where uh, Brian indicated we might go when we come back, which is that Democrats, the House Democrats, um, Congressman Jamie Raskin in the lead. Uh, Brian talks about that in today's off-message newsletter, by the way, uh, reported that uh, the Trump family, Trump businesses, got over $8 million while he was in the White House from foreign governments. Five and a half million of that came from China. Uh, and these were, this is money that went to his uh, hotel here in Washington and other Trump businesses, Mar-a-Lago and others. Particularly interesting, John, in light of this uh, just recent interview, 2023, that Donald Trump had with Sean Hannity. The Biden family, and they're making millions from yeah. Riesman. Now, think of this. From China, too. Could you imagine me doing that or my sons doing that? Or, no. Or the great Ivanka Trump doing that? Can you imagine, John? <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> this is Trump 101. It's, um, and the Rep- House Republicans are, are running this play right out of Trump's playbook. It's if I might have done something accused of, of having done something or definitely did something, just accuse the other guy of it and, and play the perception game and, you know, talk about the Biden crime family and hope that distracts from, you know, uh, data points, facts like this, that, that Trump uh, took a lot of uh, money from foreign governments. We knew this was going on. I, I don't think it was a huge shock uh, when when this report came out. Um, you know, he's been very actively trying to do business over the years before he uh, ran for president in, in 2015, 2016. In fact, we know that he wanted to build a Trump Tower in, in Moscow, for, for example. So, um, you know, everyone likes to play golf. So and, and he, he he does have golf courses and, and has built them around the world. So, um, you know, all kind. we know that that Jared Kushner receives a hefty amount of money. Uh, from a Saudi investment firm right after uh, the Trump clan left the White House. So, again, this is just this is just classic Trump, in, in my view, that uh, I did this. Um, so to distract from that, let's try to create this narrative that my opponent did it. And, and that's what House Republicans have done. Now, I've said for months, and I've said this to, to Jim Comer, Chairman Jim Comer's uh, staff, when I've interacted with them, is um, you guys have put a lot of dots on the wall and fair enough, you're an investigative committee. That's what you do. Um, but you got to start connecting them. And I've, as I've told them, if you got, if you have the evidence to connect some of these dots, give me a call. I'll be happy to write about it. <laughs> right. I haven't gotten that call yet, Bill. <laughs> right. I do think at this point it's allegations on one side and facts on the other. But let's jump to another issue. Um, uh, so, Brian, the speaker this week, Mike Johnson led a delegation of 60 Republicans down to the border 
to say this is the biggest crisis facing this nation. Um, you know, we've been talking about immigration forever. Um, how big an issue will this play in 2024, do you believe? Well, I think the Republican plan is to make sure that an immigration or border security bill does not pass, or at least not one that can actually stem flows across the southern border um, because they want to demagogue the issue going into November. And there's a couple data points to support that idea. One is a um, so eye-popping quote that CNN got from Congressman Troy Nels of Texas, um, mm-hmm. where he said, you know, asking about whether he would sign on to a border security for Ukraine aid legislative package. He said, I'm, I'm not feeling much like doing anything that'll help Joe Biden's approval ratings right now. Right. Yeah. So the, the idea is that if, if there's a border security bill and a Ukraine bill, Biden will get to take a victory lap. Ukraine will get aid. Um, perhaps the border security situation will improve and that will just help Joe Biden in the election. Um, and Speaker Mike Johnson at, in this trip to the border said something similar. He said it was it was more subtle, it was more polished, but it was basically like, I think that this issue and the, you know, the um, the the backdrop it creates, the uh, you know, um, pictures, of, uh, the, the, the video of caravans and people crossing the border and so, f- so forth will be the reason that Joe Biden loses. We expand our House majority and Republicans take over the Senate. So they clearly see it mostly as a way to, to um, support their their own political fortunes and getting a bill passed would cut against their goals. Um, yeah. That's that's how I see the situation. Um and, uh, you know, it's it, there are there are cross pressures, right? There are definitely people in both parties who, who want to get a legislative deal done for one reason or another. So I'm, I'm, I have, you know, it's not a prediction that nothing is going to pass. But the but the um, you know, these are two pretty influential congressmen in the Republican Party um, intimating that they would rather keep the issue alive than try to solve it. Uh, yeah, John, uh, how do you see that? We know there are all these there are these conversations this week, meetings still between Senate Democrats and Senate Republicans trying to hammer out a deal. But meanwhile, as Brian indicates, uh, members of the House Republican caucus indicate it doesn't matter what this indicated, it doesn't matter what the Senate comes up with, they're not going to pass it. They're, they're against it. Um, he mentioned Troy Nels from uh, Texas saying, Exactly. I've got his quote in front of me. Let me tell you, I'm not willing to do too damn much right now to help Joe Biden's approval ratings. So it sounds like they're saying no matter what the Senate comes up with, we're going to block any bill because we want this issue to remain alive. I think that's exactly right. I think what you said, I hit on it right now. The the negotiations don't have anything to do with the House of Representatives. And I don't Mm. think the negotiators, the more that, that my colleagues at CQ and Roll Call report on this, and, and I do my own reporting, I think you have to start viewing this border quote-unquote deal that may or may not happen on the Senate side in the context of uh, 2024 Senate races. This and, and it helps Joe Biden because he can say, well, we, we passed something with Republicans in the Senate, and House Republicans refused to do anything despite you know their very loud daily gripes uh, and concerns about what's happening at the border. Um, and, and, and there are a lot of reasons that, you know, vulnerable Senate Republicans want to vote for something just to say they voted for something and then they can go run on it um, in, in more competitive Senate races. And there are still some of those out there. And the Senate is going to, you know, whoever has the majority in the Senate, it's, it's going to be close 
come next January, you're not going to have a 10 seat majority or 12 seat majority. And, and you're passing cloture votes on your own or anything. That's that we're way past that for, for the foreseeable future. So I think this is about the Senate and about Joe Biden wanting to be able to, to kind of call Republicans, House Republicans and Donald Trump's uh, bluff on this and say, well, we did pass a bipartisan border bill. And uh, Mike Johnson, as they call him, Democrats call him MAGA Mike Johnson, <laughs> refused to even put it to a vote in the House. So, yeah. you know, I think Brian's right. I, I think this this is one of those situations, um, and this is going to sound probably cynical, but, um, you know, I am what I am. I am who I am. Um, <laughs> this, this passing the Senate and then Johnson making a big deal um, with Trump's support and not bringing it to a vote, it kind of helps everybody as we get into the home stretch of the election cycle. There's, there's reasons for this to happen. And and everybody uh, everybody gets a little bit messaging wise. So uh, so I want to close by asking each of you to comment on the two big issues that are sort of looming over us in 2024, uh, which the Supreme Court may ultimately decide. The one issue is whether or not Donald Trump is eligible to be on the ballot, uh, according to the 14th Amendment. We know what Colorado and Maine have done. There are also attempts now in Illinois and Massachusetts to get them off the ballot. Uh, that's been appealed to the Supreme Court of the United States and the Supreme Court of Maine. And the other issue is the immunity claim that Donald Trump says uh, is making to the Supreme Court, saying they can't charge me with anything related to January 6th because, as he said this week, I was only doing my duty as president to save our election system. Uh, those two issues are going to say major factors deciding more than anything else what happens in 2024. Um, you know, we don't know, but how do you think they're going to play out? Brian, start us off. What do you think? Well, I mean, on the law, uh, Trump has the worst of the arguments uh, on on both counts. Um, as uh, you know, when, when the Supreme Court adjudicates issues like these, it can't help but be both a, a legal body and a political body. So I don't, you know, I, I don't anticipate that the Supreme Court um, with, you know, three Democratic appointees and three Trump appointees and three Republican appointees um, is going to um, kick Donald Trump off the ballot or, or deem him ineligible for the presidency. They'll find an off-ramp somehow, huh? They, they will look for the sort of least disruptive way to to um, resolve this issue. My, my hunch, if I had to, to speculate, was that they'd say um, there hasn't been enough due process here for us to um, meet out a punishment like this qualification. And, and uh, so come back to us when he's been convicted of a felony or something like that. But the, but the, um, what about the immunity? immunity? Yeah, right. The immunity issue is, is um, both less politically charged and a bit more urgent. And there's um, in, in some sense, if you're going to say Donald Trump can't be kicked off the ballot because the voters need to decide, it's very hard for you to then say, but they need to make that decision without knowing whether Trump is guilty or innocent of the charges or of, of the crimes he's been accused of. And um, and so if it, it, in that sense, consistency would would essentially mandate that they um, dismiss the immunity claim, which is which is quite frivolous. Um and say and and do it in um you know with enough time for his January 6th trial in Washington DC uh 
to move ahead and and reach a verdict before the election. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. So if I had to, if I had to, you know, place a bet on what <laughs> right. the Supreme Court Supreme Court would do, uh, it would be leave him on the ballot and throw out the immunity claim. The question is the timing. Then would they do it quickly so that the trial could begin this spring, or would they do Donald Trump a favor, um, withhold a decision on immunity um, for? say June. And by that point, maybe it's too late for the trial to go ahead and, um, and Trump can, can contest the election without um, a verdict this January 6th conduct. So sort of a Solomon-esque uh, a solution to the whole thing. John, how do you read it? I read it about the same. And I'll add to what Brian said about the timing. Um, you know, my general rule uh, when Donald Trump is involved in something is it's, it, it, it's either going to be the most complicated possible outcome or the most chaotic or sometimes a mix of both. And, and I see, I see Brian's uh, latter timeline of June, you know, May, June around, you know, independence, uh, the Supreme court might take a, a little break there for the summer. Um, so I could see it, you know, we'll be in, uh, we'll be, we'll be in shorts and, and flip-flops maybe by the time they rule on all this, and, you know, that just that 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 complicates the picture of the election. You know, it would be great if voters had as much of this information about immunity and convictions and all of that sooner rather than later. But the justice system uh, does not move quickly. If anybody's had jury duty recently, uh, as I did last year, you 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 really get that up up close and personal view of just how slowly and and there are good reasons for that for things to move slowly because he you know Donald Trump is entitled to a fair trial and 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 a speedy trial um, doesn't necessarily meet that definition all the time so this is going to play out slowly and I think that does play into Trump's uh, advantage as we get closer to the general election especially as as he begins to sew up the nomination and you know then we'll really get this message from I think Biden will really start uh, hammering the drum about Trump being a threat. Now, whether we get a conviction in any of these cases uh, before the election, you know, that, that also seems, um, seems doubtful, but we might get one or two and that could shake up the whole board. You uh, also agree that uh, uh, the courts would likely uh, keep him on the ballot and yet dismiss the immunity claim? Yeah, totally. I, I, I think Brian's right about that. Uh, the, immunity, the immunity claim is, is so thin because then you know, you would kind of have the protections of, of a monarch, of a king for yeah, life. Right. And you they, could never be tried for anything uh, that you did during your, you know, constitutionally set four year term. And, you know, that's not what the founders had in mind at all. It would be saying that there is one person who is above the law. And hard Correct. to believe the court could say that. But got excellent job, guys, uh, looking back at the news of the week and making some sense of it all. Indeed. A big thanks to John Bennett and to Brian Boitler. Before we let you go, uh, and John, I want to start with you, but there's always one one story that stops you in your tracks during the week, one story that you might have been working on or maybe not, but you just saw somewhere else. Uh, we call it our favorite story of the week. Uh, how about you, John? Uh, Bill, I will I will keep the streak alive. Uh, we're all going to need <laughs> we're all going to need sports. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we're all going to need some distractions in 2024 and and probably for a couple months after the election. And sports usually provides uh, both the ridiculous and the entertaining. 
And we got both this week from Carolina Panthers owner David Tepper, who is one of the least uh, least most popular people in Charlotte, North Carolina, <laughs> uh, essentially my hometown. Uh, I don't really follow the Panthers anymore, but uh, I couldn't help after Sunday when Mr. Tepper, uh, uh, the Panthers had a road game at, at Jacksonville playing the playoff-bound Jaguars, and uh, it didn't go very well for the Panthers. Nothing has gone very well for the Panthers. They have had a dismal, dismal season. And uh, Mr. Tepper, there's even talk of, of moving the franchise uh, threats behind the scenes. Anyway, um, some fans who were sitting in front of Mr. Tepper's suite in Jacksonville were, I guess, uh, giving it, giving him the business pretty good. And Mr. Tepper picked up a drink and threw it on the fan, and it was caught on video. It looked like oh, someone yeah. maybe in the next suite over, you know, they had these glass partitions in between. <laughs> And the NFL uh, fined him three hundred thousand dollars, which Whoa. he's 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 a billionaire multiple times over. Uh, still, that's a lot of money for for throwing uh, you know a diet coke on someone. But you you can't do that when you're the owner. When you're one of thirty two people that gets it is a privilege to own one of these franchises, and they print money. Uh, the NFL yeah. franchise, even a, a terrible franchise, a terrible team like the Panthers, you know, he's making a lot of money down there in Charlotte. So I just it was fascinating to watch. It's been fascinating to watch from afar. Really, the slide when he took over for Jerry Richardson as the owner, uh, they had a pretty good roster. And, you know, my family was telling me over Thanksgiving just that he's decimated the roster, made a lot of questionable moves, raised ticket prices, threatened to move the franchise. And now we're throwing drinks on people. So as the fight song that they, they, they retired years ago used to say, stand and cheer for the Panthers. Send <laughs> the cheer for the Panthers. Thank you, John, for keeping uh, sports as uh, a big part of the uh, Bill Press Roundtable. You bet. Uh, what caught your attention, Brian, particularly this so, week? So it, for me, it was a um, a segment that Tucker Carlson did on his uh, Twitter-based, I don't know, monologue show, um, Tucker Carlson Uncensored. Um, so we, in this conversation, had alluded, I think John alluded to the fact that perceptions of the economy are out of whack with what the macroeconomic data says is actually happening in yeah. the country. People feel that it's worse than the, or, the data or, suggests that it is. Or, or what our eyes show us too, right? <laughs> right. I um, mean, you know, people say their circumstances are good, but they assume that everyone else is doing poorly. Um, but, but, but the um, perceptions and reality are starting to merge again. Consumer sentiment is improving. Um, the, you know, inflation has been uh, low and flat for, for several months now. And so perhaps it makes sense that, uh, that that people are taking a second look at things. And this Tucker Carlson segment, Tucker Carlson, who's discussed as a possible Trump running mate, says, is the Fed lowering rates to get Joe Biden reelected? Or is the truth actually much scarier than that? Um, I, I What he actually said in the segment, I think, is a bit beside the point. Um but it did. It, it stuck out to me because it's a, it's a sign that at least some influential people in Republican politics have started to realize that they might be losing the, oh, yeah. the fight for narrative control over over the Biden economy, and they're making a pivot from the economy is terrible to the allegation that they're going to rig the economy to give uh, Joe Biden a second term, um, and that's probably not where Republicans were hoping to be. Um, and, and the, you know, the, the, I guess the, the implication is that the 
Federal Reserve shouldn't lower interest rates now that inflation is down. And that's sort of an argument for saying, like, make things harder for people during j- yeah. just just yeah. to help Republicans right. win the election uh, when they do when interest rates don't need to be as high as they are. Um, so I think that's something to watch out for. Like, is is the is the Republican storyline that the economy is terrible crashing into reality and um, will, it will no longer be effective? It's sort of analogous to Tucker arguing when he still was on Fox News that January 6th was all started by the FBI, right? Um, yeah, exactly. And by the way, something like 30% of the American people, according to the Washington Post poll, um, believe that. So that's it. Well, I got to tell you, my favorite story of the week was about a national scandal, but a not, not a national scandal here in the United States, a national scandal in Italy. And I say this who has spent a couple of months in Italy each of the last two years and plan to again this year. Uh, and this scandal um, started in Naples, where pizza was invented back in 1860. And the scandal is that a Neapolitan pizza maker by the name of Gino Sorbillo came out with a new pizza with pineapple on it. <laughs> and which I think, by the way, is just a a disgrace in any country. But the Italians have gone mad over this. Uh, They are protesting nationwide against this pizza con ananas uh, out of of, of Naples and saying this is an insult to Italy, to the Italian culture, to Italian heritage, to Italian cuisine. Uh, should not be allowed, and yet it seems that it's very popular. It's got no tomato sauce on it, three cheeses, and twice-cooked slices of pineapple. There you go. Sort of the end of the world as far as the Italians are concerned, and I agree. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. A big thank you again, Brian Boydler, Off Messi's newsletter. Again, I've subscribed and encourage you to do so as well. And follow John Bennett editor-at-large in CQ Roll Call and writer of the Afternoon Briefing. Thanks, guys. Thanks to all of you for joining us today. Uh, Have a great weekend, and then we'll be back on Tuesday, the next edition of the Bill Press Podcast, talking to Michael Steele, former chair of the former Republican Party, uh, not today's Republican Party, and now uh, a weekend host on MSNBC. Michael Steele joins us on Tuesday. We'll see you then for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.